Hey, y'all. Welcome to Amazon's Black Stories podcast, where we highlight the stories of Black designers, researchers, and creators from all around the world. I'm your host, Justin James Lopez, and today I'm joined by Donald Burlock Jr. And he talks about the importance of trying new things, asking questions, and also investing in your creative core. Now let's hear his story. All right, so I'm really excited for this one. So Donald, let's talk a little bit about who you are today. You're clearly at Amazon, you're a designer, but tell us a little bit more about what you do here. Thanks, Justin. First of all, incredible opportunity to be here with the audience. I feel like I'm in the room with everyone, which usually is not the case when everything is remote, but I really truly feel like I'm in the room with the audience and in the room with you right now. My background is uh, in actually mechanical engineering. I transitioned to design about a decade ago. And so I, I started out working primarily with engineers in the automotive field. That's where I sort of cut my teeth and got going with things. And then and we'll talk about this. Part of my, my pivot, my big pivot that led me to design is very much one of the big reasons that I'm doing what I'm doing today. It was sort of how the pivot happened. It was when it happened. And then it was, it was even more importantly, where it led me in terms of place, in terms of the people I was interacting with. And all of that has informed where I'm at today, right now. Yeah. So mechanical engineering. So we're starting in mechanical engineering. And you said about a decade ago, you shifted to design. This is interesting. Was design always a part of the equation or was it a late, a late addition to your life? Like, Did you just jump into a, a mechanical engineering career and decide, no, what, actually, there's this other thing. How did it actually come into your life? Yeah. Amazing story because it is... In many ways, I think relatable to a lot of people who come from the Midwest, from the part of the country where I grew up. I grew up somewhere where things are in many ways black and white. When you get a standardized test, when it comes to your ethnicity, you have to check a box. When it comes to a sport you play, you check a box. When it comes to a career path that you pursue after school or joining the military, it's all about checking a box. And you know, I think it took many years for me to come to this realization that you could define paths that weren't a part of shading in a box. That's really important because up until my mid-20s as an engineer, I felt like that was the only path that I could really pursue that allowed me to, you know, have some degree of creativity. I knew I was somebody who enjoyed the sciences to a degree. Not so much on the chemistry and biology side, but I was someone who loved to tinker with things, mostly with you know robotics and things of this nature. And so I ended up pursuing an engineering degree because that seemed like the right path. That was a very it was a very clear step that would allow me to move into a career field that was very prominent in the Midwest, which was in a, the automotive industry. So I started in the automotive industry, which a lot of people don't know, right? Like when you have this like pivot in your career. A lot of times people only know you for whatever it is that you're doing right now. And I think the best part about being a designer is many designers who I meet who have been designing for years, if you sit with them, they'll tell you, I didn't start out in design. Like I started out in journalism. I started out in engineering. I started out as a copywriter. And you're like, wow, okay. But now you're doing like these incredible like screen flows. So, you know, I think that journey for me was 
partially because I was coming from a place. I was coming from an environment where you had sort of a, a chosen path, if you will. Chosen in the sense of like, if it wasn't on that piece of paper and you weren't checking the box for where you were trying to go, people would kind of look at you sideways like, oh, you're trying to do music or you're into fashion and, you know, fashion photography and like, huh, okay, that's interesting. Good luck with that. Maybe, you know, do that on the side. Let's get a day job. That was sort of the attitude that I grew up with. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting because I, I recently had another guest, Gloria Osardu, also at Amazon. She's a researcher, but she kind of mentioned this, this similar pathway of being guided towards, you know, of safe path, right? The, the path that makes sense to other people, but may have not made the most sense to you in your life. And you also kind of mentioned this, this idea um, that, I, that I would describe as this way, right? Like I was always told when you're making an excuse for something, right? Anything that comes before the but doesn't really matter. If you ever have you ever heard of this? so, and you kind of talk about that when you're saying like, but it's it's the in a career perspective, people only look at the the pivot, right? But for you, does that experience being in mechanical engineering or moving towards that path does that bleed into the work that you do now, or is it, you know, is it a very real thing that it's only after the pivot that matters? Oh, it totally influences the work. It influences the work and then it influences who I am in a very unexpected way. So what I mean by that, Justin, is it has shaped my attitude such that I'm very excited about having moments where my my thought expands, my perspective expands. And why is that? It's probably because I spent so long with these sort of safe, predefined paths And so now when I brush up against someone or I brush up against an environment where people have lots of expansive thinking, you know, the perspectives are really wide. People are connecting dots in really interesting ways. I get goosebumps. I get really excited because there's this magnetism that happens because I spent so many years where I was deeply curious internally, but didn't find myself brushing up against, you know, environments and people and places that were also quite curious, right? So I go from sort of predefined space to, you know, a space where everything is expansive. And and that that for me is what has kind of carried through from those years where I'm like, okay, I'm working as an engineer, but ooh, this is really interesting. Now I'm entering into this field where there's all of these different, you know, stimuli that are impacting the work we're doing, the people we're working with. How do I get more of that? Coming from this this space of having to check a box, right? You ha- having to, to check that box in order to be, you know, accepted almost in, in the work that you do. Or how scary was it to pivot in that way and say, well, you know what, I'm going to dive into the gray area. How hard was that for you? It's exhilarating. It's actually like doing anything else that really pushes you to the edge, whether you're skydiving, whether you're about to go swimming, and you're swimming in the ocean for the first time, there's this teetering on fear and at the same time, excitement and exhilaration. And depending on your personality type, you end up finding yourself sort of falling more towards the excitement. And then at some point it takes over the fear and you're into it. And perhaps you're afraid the entire time because you're in the unknown, right? There's so much ambiguity when you make that pivot. 
But I think the thing that is so fascinating to me, the thing that is like something that I carry from learning how to engage the fear is being comfortable with this phrase that I call jumping off the porch. I I don't know where I got this from. I, I think I borrowed it from someone along the way. We always borrow things along the way. But the jumping off the porch analogy is all about going from what you said earlier, safe, this sort of safe, a bit more understood path. I won't say it's predictable, right? Most things aren't in life. We don't have control over everything. We know that. But there are these paths where it seems a little bit more predictable. I'm going to go and pursue this type of job. It has a very clear title and description. And then this is the career path it's going to lead me down. As opposed to you're choosing something, let's say, for instance, in an emerging field, and perhaps the description of the opportunity isn't that clear. Or the work that you're doing as soon as you land at this company that you really want to be at isn't that clear. That ambiguity, that is to me what gets me going sometimes because it inevitably puts me in a position where I might discover something really fascinating about myself and I'm going to discover something really fascinating about the world. Yeah, I believe you. And I honestly really do subscribe to the same idea of like when you think of like the fear, the excitement that many people don't really even realize the feelings of of fear, anxiety, excitement actually have very similar, if not almost identical physiological responses in your body. It really just kind of comes down to how you you look at it. And you mentioned like sometimes you're you, you may be feeling like fear the entire time because it's just so unknown to you. At what point does this, because, you know, there's hard skills that you get from, you know, different types of fields. And I think that that is also associated with the safety that we as a society, right? When you think of mechanical engineering, you think of software engineering, you think of the medical field. In a creative field, there is a lot of ambiguity, right? There is a lot of like, is this is this good work? Is this not good work? And it's arbitrary. Maybe you're not at that part in your journey yet, but at what point in your journey do you start to go, "Uh aha, this is what Donald's good looks like in design and creativity? Because it's it's all ambiguous, right? It's all ambiguous in a way. And I say it in this fashion because ultimately, if you are allowing yourself to be as creative as possible, then to your about the physiological experiences that inevitably you have, whether you know, you're afraid to give that presentation because you forgot to dress well or you're not as prepared or you're just incredibly excited to be on the stage and share something with someone. What tends to happen is if you, and I've discovered this, if you really lean into growing your creative core, you know, the aspect of yourself that enjoys the exploration, that leans into the curiosity, If you strengthen that aspect, then you have more moments where you're enjoying a really new experience, a new conversation, a new interaction with someone. You might still feel uh, tense, right, to a degree because it is new. But at the same time, you start to feel this intuition, right, that this is the right journey. This is the right thing to do. That's why I talk so much about creativity and I talk about the action that um, comes from strengthening your creative core. Because I think what that does is it allows someone to embrace ambiguity, right? And and we're specifically talking about ambiguity because I think sometimes when we talk about certainty and uncertainty, right, we we can get into a really technical discussion. But ambiguity in general, that says you are going into 
perhaps unknown territory, right? You are pushing up on the boundaries and interfaces of something that you haven't done before. And we experience that in all aspects of our lives. Usually we talk about it in terms of our career, in terms of the work that we're doing, but it's actually just part of living, right? It starts when you're first dropped off at kindergarten and it continues all the way through the rest of your life, right? And how we learn to embrace that ambiguity, I think is by strengthening our creative core, the thing that we innately all have. But, you know, sometimes as we get further along in life and in our careers, we, we dismiss as not as valuable, perhaps as, as when we were, you know, younger. Yeah. Now, I want to address the elephant in the room for many of us when we move into not just design, but just like the corporate world, right? You mentioned being from the Midwest and growing up, you know, in a very specific way, very specific culture. What was your experience shifting to, you know, not just the corporate world, but like shifting to, you're in San Francisco now, right? Like you're in the, so in, in, in the barrier, Silicon Valley, you have, you know, and, and what it and specifically, right? Let's, like I said, elephant in the room, let's address it. What was it like being black in that room and shifting into that world? What has been your experience? Oh my goodness. You know, I think initially there was a, a degree of shock, right? Because, you know, I had experienced to, to some degree moments of, of discrimination, you know, moments of bias in a negative way, right? Being in the Midwest, working professionally, you know, as a young, you know, black engineer, even in the you know, automotive industry. But, you know, generally it was sort of understood. It was understood that there were going to be these moments where, you know, it is what it is. That was kind of the understood attitude. But, you know, something interesting happened when I started growing my career as a designer. When I decided to study design, I didn't realize this, but my confidence in who I was and the confidence in the type of work that I could produce was also growing. You know, design encourages this type of aptitude within people because inevitably you have to present concepts and ideas to people who perhaps don't understand what you're talking about initially. And perhaps you have to convince them that the solution or the idea or whatever it is that you're showcasing is the believable one to move forward with. So your confidence grows as you put the process of design into action, right? This is why design thinking has become so popularized over the years is because it drives a degree of confidence in something that you're presenting to the world. So I say all that to say that there was an incredible amount of confidence that I had on the backside of design school. And when I came into the workforce again, initially at IDEO in Cambridge, and then I, over time, decided that I was going to make this move to the Bay Area, I had an incredible amount of confidence in who I was and what I could share and what I could bring to the world. And nobody could tell me that that wasn't the case. So I think it was shocking initially to find myself in a design environment where I imagined that everyone would be outside the box in terms of their thinking, right? The hyperbole is always empathy. The hyperbole focuses on understanding the, the end needs of a user, of a customer, like really digging in and understanding, well, how do we help people, right? Is this the right solution for the environment, et cetera? So I'm thinking, these people who I'm about to work with, <laughs> who talk this hyperbole in design, well, they should be the most empathetic, understanding people. They should appreciate diversity in all of its degrees, right? In terms of you know who you are, where you're from, what you know, what you're bringing into the room. And quite often, unfortunately, I would find that that was not the case. 
I would discover like through my interactions, initially coming into the consulting world and then uh, by way of consulting, eventually becoming an associate creative director at Dolby Laboratories and, and working with people in the Bay Area, that I would often run into situations where my expectation of interacting with the most creative people turned out to be quite disappointing. And I realized that sometimes I was interacting with people who didn't believe that I could deliver really amazing concepts, or they perhaps like had some doubt about how I was going to present and didn't believe that I could, you know, win the room for whatever reason. You know, I think there were degrees of, you know, racial implications, right? In some of the conversations as well, right? Like the sort of like doubting conversations, right? That make you wonder about yourself, right? Like part of this imposter syndrome cycle that we talk about a lot is if I'm constantly expressing doubt in you, like, are you sure you got that right? Are you sure you can do that? Well, then, you know, it chips away at your confidence, right? Like this wonderful reserve of confidence that you could use to like feel your potential all of a sudden starts to, you know, shut down just a little bit, a little bit more and a little bit more. So there was never really a moment where somebody was overt and it was explicit in terms of some racial interaction or some, you know, kind of microaggression that was like so vivid to me where I would thought to myself, oh my gosh, this is, this is clearly that, you know, here we go. Mm -mm. A lot of times it was, it was, I'm going to express doubt in you. Well, why would you have doubt in me? I, I showed up, I'm here, I got hired. I went through all of the rounds of interviews. I've clearly shown you that I have a portfolio and a skill set that could lend itself to this project. But for whatever reason, in the first like minute of us sitting down, you have doubts about who I am and why, why I'm here. So it's masked. It's masking. Uh, it's, la- it's multi-layered, Justin. It's, you know, there's this insecurity expressed. There's this sort of, you know, doubtful kind of, a, you know, expressed story, right? That's kind of spun up in the room. Like, hey, yeah, we kind of brought them in um, because, you know, we just really wanted to, to add to, you know, the mix. Like, okay, that, that sounds great. You know, just, you know, so you start to experience things culturally. And what I mean culturally is within the context of an office or in the context of a company. And those are the things that like, for me, were so eye-opening. It was eye-opening because it was very insidious at times. You know, it's like very much, it's not overt. I, I can't really tell you too many stories about where it's overt, but I can tell you the ones where it's not and it's a little bit more insidious, those are, are deeply hurtful and you, you do have to be really careful. You know, you have to be mindful of, of those experiences. Yeah, it's interesting because you think of the concept of that overt versus, you know, that kind of like implicit scenario that you're feeling. And in a certain way, you I don't know, I can't speak for you, but I, I know for me and my experience coming from like more of a mixed culture and and having so many different things, people are constantly like trying to figure out what I am, who I am, what do I identify with before they interact with me to make sure that their interactions are justified or whatever. But it's it's almost like for for me, I would prefer the overtness because at least you would know where the person stands and where their perspective is coming from. And the other part, as you mentioned, it hurts because it's it's almost kind of like gaslighting, right? Like you you almost feel like you're... It, it is gaslighting, yeah. You feel like you're going crazy there. How do you deal with that? Like, how do you deal with that in your career? 
Well, first, I talk a lot about creativity in, in the form of three C's, consciousness, connection, and community. This is recent, like the last few years I've been working on this. I don't know if I want to call it a, a sort of a theme, but it, it really is, right? Because uh, creativity, I think at the end of the day, is this fuel that continues to propel us forward. I specifically talk about consciousness, connection, and community because these are the things that have helped me continue to be creative, right? So to answer that question and have this dialogue about where we're going here, I needed some way to address the types of experiences I was having in such a way where I wasn't defensive. Because it's very easy to become defensive. It's really easy to shut down. And I think it's also easy to begin to lose that confidence and move out of roles or opportunities prematurely. I certainly experienced that. I think even my time at IDEO is a good example because in many respects, I think that because I wasn't able at that point to handle some of the sometimes implicit experiences that were going on chipping at that confidence, inevitably I was that much more open to moving to a different company, a different culture. And so I talk about consciousness because I think it's important to build the awareness of what's going on in the environment and how people are addressing you. It's important, I think, because I had to understand what was really me and then what was really someone else. What were they struggling with, right? Like their issue of a Black designer in the room giving them feedback about perhaps something that they created, right? Made them feel in some way like, threatened, right? Or disrespected. That's not my problem. That's their issue. But I would make it my issue. And I would feel like, oh, maybe I need to change the style of how I'm giving feedback. Well, maybe there's some things I can improve, but it didn't change the fact that I was in the room, in the position to give feedback. And I should have given feedback because that was my job. I would experience things like that and I would put it directly back on myself. So over time, I had to build a consciousness by way of making connections, right, with people who were helping me understand, hey, this isn't always you. You have to acknowledge, like, these are things that are happening because of some of these other people who are in leadership, right? And they're doing things that are perhaps not making the environment nearly as inclusive or as, you know, perhaps comfortable as it could be. Yeah, so it took a lot for me to begin to really embrace some things um, and, and, and see some things differently. Yeah, it's like allow people the space to be who they are, right? And I think that that's something I learned in my career as well, like just constantly having to look in, you know, look at yourself and, and where, where could I have changed? How could I have changed this scenario? And maybe the answers you couldn't have, right? The way people, as you mentioned, the way people treat you very often has everything to do with them and very little to do with with you sometimes. So you also have a book, right? And how much of this is in your book? Let's, let's talk about your book for a second. Superhuman by Design. Yes. Superhuman by Design. Yeah. First book. And reason it's so, I think, very relevant for the conversation we're having is there's so many stories, Justin, that like I want to tell. And this is the beauty of this podcast, right? Is because if you've stuck around in design long enough, if you've stuck around long enough in the creative career, inevitably, you're going to talk about these things. You're going to talk about, you know, bias. You're going to talk about, you know, how to deal with success, how to deal with failure, right? The implications of being the only one in the room, right? No other, you know, person in the room, right? Except you who carries your culture, who lifts your 
you know, the the very the very essence of you, right, lifts lifts this essence to a degree such that like this is perhaps the one experience that you know everyone else in the room is having with you as a black designer, right? As a black person, right? Like they may not have any other interaction with anyone black for that week, that month, maybe that year. That's a real thing, right? Imagine you're coming into that room and that's the way you feel. Having a platform to talk about those stories, that's what became important to me because I realized, one, that my story has value. And then two, I realized there's a lot of people who have similar experiences and perhaps don't know that there are people who can put voice to it. And so when I started to write Superhuman by Design, initially it was just sharing my story in design, in Silicon Valley, working at different startups, being the only one in the room, working through imposter syndrome, the highs and the lows. But this is the beauty of a book if you get a really good editor. I found someone who has a lot of professional wisdom and experience. And they said, hey, put some structure around your story. And then that way we can extract things that are applicable to both designers who are still very new, who are kind of coming up in the game, to people who have had a lot of years in design, right? And, you know, are looking for something that sort of pulls it all together. And then even more, can you extend it so that anyone can read it who's remotely curious about the value of creativity, the value of creativity in themselves, what they could do with it. We talk a lot about superpowers, right? Which is our innate abilities and, and you know, things that we're, we're, we're uniquely designed to have and bring to the world. And then the superpowers that we can go out and get. And so the book went from almost like a, a memoir, like a sort of inspirational slash aspirational storytelling time to, oh my goodness, that's only like a portion of the book. Like that's a section. It grew into this, let's make this, you know, applicable. Let's pull out application that people can use, that they can take with them on Monday morning. Heck, they could use like that day, <laughs> you know? And, and so the journey of the book now has been taking these layers apart, right? Taking these layers about creativity and design, my story in Silicon Valley, just overall lifestyle, the things that I've had to learn in terms of my spirit, in terms of my body, in terms of my rest, in terms of my recovery, right? In terms of finances, like taking all of this stuff, relationships, and looking at it through a design lens, which has a lot of structure, right? Has a lot of thinking to it. And saying, well, how do I first address my designers? So I'm like, my fellow designers, let me speak to you, right? My fellow Black designers, let me talk to you. And then, you know, I go from there and I'm like, I want to talk to everybody. I want to unlock in everyone their own creativity. Because if I can start to do that, something incredible emerges, right? I've seen it happen time and time again in the room. You can take the person who, in many cases, is the most closed, maybe the most, you know, isolating in their attitude. They have these really judgmental, you know, very, you know, sort of like anti-you for this moment in the room kind of attitude. And if you are able to see that person convert in the course of like 30 minutes, an hour, and next thing you know, they're they're up, they're moving, there's action. They're like, hey, we, we could do something. Yeah, what if we could do that? The electricity from that is, that jolt is incredible. 
that is an incredible feeling that I love and I want other people to experience. That's why I wrote the book. <laughs> yeah, Superhuman by Design. Where can we get that book? It was, you know, an honor to put it on Amazon. That's where I had to start. It's on Amazon. There it is. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I had every intention of having that book on Amazon even before I was, you know, fortunate enough to join Amazon. I thought, what better place to put this message, right? Like I still sell the book, you know, sign copies through my website and such, but I want you to get this message fast. And Amazon's going to deliver it to you really quick. <laughs> and I want people to talk about it. And the thing I love about, you know, a book on Amazon is I read the reviews, just like people do for all types of products. I read the reviews and I want to see in those reviews, people share their experience with the material. And I was like, I want the book on Amazon because it doesn't matter, you know, how much it shows up on Facebook or Instagram and you know, all of those LinkedIn, all of these communities are really great. But I want the conversation to be where the sell is, where the conversion is. People who are buying the book are also looking at those reviews and they're thinking like, wow, this person took five minutes and they discovered something really interesting about like how to apply creativity to their finances. Like they weren't thinking like that before. And oh, they took a picture of some of the things they highlighted. And I'm like, that's why I want the book on Amazon. I love it. Well, it's always a pleasure, Donald. It's always a pleasure. And thank you for joining us for you know this episode of Black Stories. For everyone listening, this is an amazing story about imposter syndrome, about being the only one, how to you know work through ambiguity, how to work through pivots in your career, but also pick up the book Superhuman by Design by Donald Burlock Jr. I wish everybody could see it. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold it up just because it feels good. It's got this bright yellow cover, so you will recognize it on Amazon. <laughs> All good. We'll, we'll link that in this, this episode. And thanks again. Thank you, Justin. And thank you for allowing me to just be up here with you and your audience today. It's a really incredible feeling. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.